Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. His book is 465 pages in length. It would take many programs to cover all he has written about his time in Angarda Shiakana. In two programs, we can tell you just so much. John O'Brien, originally from Kaledi Balanhasik, joined the Gardaí on Wednesday, June 26, 1968. He should and does remember it well. He was beginning a career he would love, but on arrival at the training college in Temple Moor, he was informed that his mother had passed away since they had left Balanhasik that morning. Retiring in 2006 with the rank of Detective Chief Superintendent, the years in between would provide plenty of traumatic, tragic, eventful, but also happy material for any book. As John joins me this evening, we continue and conclude our two-part programme and trawl through some of the events that played a part in the latter half of his career. As always, you're invited to join us on another journey as I welcome you to another edition of Where the Road Takes Me. This evening we look back at the controversial and costly Smithic Tribunal, set up to investigate the shooting dead of two senior RUC officers returning to the north after a meeting in Dundalk with their Garda counterparts. The criminal justice system, is it a happy and successful marriage between the judiciary, the prison service, the DPP, the Gardaí and the community? And why John O'Brien believes that the new proposals for an operating model for the Garda Shiakana will not work? how it will affect over 14,000 sworn Garda officers and over 2,000 civilian staff. 427 Garda stations, he believes, will be directly affected by boundary changes, and 535 Garda stations will be impacted. But first, Dublin Jimmy, a typical career criminal of his time. However, it was one thing to be investigating his crimes, but to discover that both now lived in the same rural town would put extra spite to the investigations. Yes, indeed. Dublin Jimmy, which is the euphemism we have used uh, for, the, for, for the guy, was a member of a family in North County Dublin, and we were living close to each other in the, roughly in the same town. And I had come out, I had been involved in the city centre policing in Dublin, I had come back to this rather quieter town, and, and, uh, and he had come to notice. And it was obvious that, uh, you know, through other information, that he was involved in reading uh, HGVs, you know, heavy goods vehicles and cars, lorries, that kind of thing. Very resourceful, but had a hair-trigger 
temper. You know, he was a guy with a, a high, <laughs> very low tolerance rate for of anyone in a blue uniform. And I had started a number of prosecutions with regard to him and others. And as a course of that, he was in custody, and uh, which is really where he should have stayed. But the good judge, who was the president of the circuit court, took a liking to him, thought he was a you know a quite country bumpkin that was being importuned by this rather overzealous uh, sergeant, and uh, gave him bail. And then what followed was a rampage of robbery and violence. And eventually, he, through our action, through our legal action, he was forced to leave the jurisdiction. He uh, was disqualified for 25 years, which effectively meant that his mobility, his ability to, to, to move was absolutely restricted. He never suffered the full penalties that, that he should have suffered in, in this jurisdiction for his actions, but he moved north to Keedy in Armagh, and eventually then he progressed through the criminal ranks and became a very big player in Baldwin events in later years, which led to the kidnapping of Kevin Lunny and his assault. Kevin Lunny, you associated with the Queen, the Queen's name, yeah. Valley Connell and all of that stuff. He was a remarkable, uh, Dublin Jr. was a remarkable guy. When I was on night duty, my wife would get a phone call at different times telling her that effort is dead and the effort was me and that happened quite, quite uh, often. I cover it in a little bit more detail and probably a little bit more graphically in the book. But, I mean, he was a significant uh, player and probably typical of, of any at that particular time, but I think prevailingly he had the image of being that country bumpkin and I use that as a country bumpkin myself. <laughs> you know, yeah, but he, it was far from the truth. Incidentally, I was suspended for a day while I had to answer a false charge from one of his family members of assault. So, you know, the guards can be quite tough on the guards from time to time. Sometimes I guess it's legitimate and sometimes, as in my case, it wasn't. So, you know, but I really don't have any complaints about my time in the guards. I should say that, John, I had a wonderful, wonderful time, but you've got to learn to take the, the rough with the smooth, I think. You did spend a considerable amount of your career as well, taking up the cudgel for complaints within the Guardian and improving conditions for them to such an extent that was it a superintendent once said to you, you can be very difficult to deal with. <laughs> yes, yes, yes that's, that's that's right. By the way, like we've been talking, John, about very serious stuff uh, in in all the course of this. I should also say there was great humour in the guards from time to time, and you know we came across hilarious situations. Like a colleague of mine who was escorting in very solemn circumstances a funeral one day on his motorbike and doing the appropriate thing. Uh, thinking he knew where he was going, but obviously he didn't. He drove down a cul-de-sac, but now a little street in Dublin, had to reverse everybody <laughs> back out and resume. So look, I, 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 I digress, John. So, so yeah, no, it's, it, it's, a very interesting, uh, it's a very interesting career. Mustn't have harmed your career because you were eventually promoted to detective chief superintendent before you retired. Yes, and there's a lovely part. I can remember exactly when that was said. I was being promoted uh, sergeant, and there was uh, the traditional dinner and going away thing, and and the good superintendent, who was a fairly monosyllabic individual himself, not greatly given to the, the you know to uh, to softness, saying he said, "I know we have come to John O'Brien." He said, and uh, when I came here to this district, he said, "I was told to keep an eye on O'Brien. You know, he could be a difficult man to handle." So, so but that's it was at a, it's the paradox that you just mentioned. You see, because yeah. Yes, I was now being promoted a sergeant, and I was going to, uh, actually on my way to Hackbarts Cross, the one that we discussed uh, el- earlier on. But look, the serious point is, one should never be afraid to speak truth to power. But look, I was a team player. I loved the job I did. But there was certainly an awful lot of bunkum that I would be very unsympathetic, you know, about. So sometimes that could be translated as being difficult to handle, John. 
On the 20th of March, 1989, Chief Superintendent Harry Breen and Superintendent Robert Buchanan of the RUC were returning in an unmarked car from a cross-border security conference at Dundalk Garda Station. They were ambushed and shot dead near the border at Jonesboro by the Provisional IRA. The resultant tribunal to investigate the killings became known as the Smithick Tribunal and was prompted by Peter Corey, a Canadian judge commissioned by the Irish government to investigate the killings. In July of 2006, 17 years after the killings, Judge Smithick stated that he would complete his investigation before public hearings began. Those hearings began five years later. The tribunal itself would cost almost €20 million. To say that the whole affair was complex would be an understatement of the highest magnitude. And I tried to make it readable and digestible from, from, you know, from a reader's point of view because, you know, public, I think, rightly so in many cases, get tired when they hear people, you know, debating the point. Now, tribunals are a particular vehicle for establishing the facts, but, but uh, this tribunal was founded on, uh, I was commenced, I think, in 2005, reported in 2013. It spent uh, six years in private investigation, which is a remarkable feature. But I just, for our listeners' point of view, I just want to focus my mind and theirs is... It's probably, in my thought, represent the single biggest travesty, you know, exerted against the Gala Shikana by, formerly by a government in terms of its outcome and its probity. To make the point that I'm going to make now, uh, there were a number of people who gave key evidence uh, to the Smithy Tribunal. One of them was Peter Keeley, Kevin Fulton, who was a British agent, acknowledged uh, before, the, uh, before the tribunal. He was a guy who had been who had joined the British Army, then had resigned tactically, had in, infiltrated the Provisional IRA in South Down and in Dundalk. And he was, by his own admission, and it's all in the tribunal record, so it's there to be read, is where he had participated in bomb-making activity, he had been present at shootings, he had been present at the kidnapping of Tom Oliver, all his own admission, he covered in his own book. But the key point I'll make about Peter Keeley, Kevin Fulton, is the state paid his lawyers €456,645. €456,645 went to this informer agent of the British Army who was an acknowledged liar. The other guy of interest from that same stable was Freddy Scapatici, otherwise known as Steak Knife. We paid his lawyers 382000 when I say we, I mean the Irish taxpayer, €382,270. Now, he did not give evidence to the tribunal, but he was represented for its entirety. And the third witness of particular note was the then Assistant Chief Constable of the RUC, Drew Harris, who is currently the Commissioner of the, the Garda Shikana. And his evidence, and again it's in the record, uh, the counsel for the Garda Shikana described his evidence or his testimony to the tribunal as nonsense on stilts. So these were kind of, they're just kind of flashpoints from the tribunal itself. It started really by, it was started by a book written by a, an author called Toby Harnden, and he wrote A Bandit Country, published in probably 1999, and in it he made a number of allegations. And based on that, on the suggestions, he made suggestions in his book which were amplified by a number of journalists in the South and also by a number of Southern politicians, including the former Minister for Justice, uh, Charlie Flanagan, where they're reiterated and eventually, as part of the normalization of uh, relationships between the North and South, it was agreed between governments that there would be a tribunal of inquiry into a number of uh, Events. And one of those that was up for uh, mention was the murder, the terrible murder of Harry Breen and Bob Buchanan in 1989, just uh, in, after Patrick's day. 
The Smithic Tribunal was meant to be a reciprocal arrangement, which meant that in the North, an equivalent tribunal would be held into, for instance, the murder of solicitor Patrick Finucane. But John O'Brien says none of this actually happened. Frankly, the naivety of the southern authorities in going down this road was absolutely mind-boggling. But as you said in your, in your remarks, eight years, nearly 20 million euro money paid to British and uh, agents operating within the provisional IRA. This was a terrible decision. By the way, it was never debated in Dalairn, And this is the, the whole rationale of the tribunal is that it's debated in Dalairn. And in the book, I also cover um, Supreme Court Judge Peter Charlton, who has done a summary on the efficacy of uh, tribunals, which is well worth reading. I won't attempt to summarize it here and now. And he is one person who is extremely knowledgeable on the methodology and by tribunals, but it is a terrible insult to the Gallagher Corner. Myself and two other chief superintendent colleagues went through the evidence painstakingly line by line, and frankly, if we were convinced, as um, the judge was, that we had colluded with the uh, provisional IRA, we would have made abject apologies for it. I had worked with, as they had, with the IOC in a perfectly lawful way, had attended in their stations, had given them every cooperation, and we would have been horrified, and we would have said so if we felt there was credence in this. So, yeah, a really bad deal, never debated by the Department in the South. And what about a mention of Garda X? Was there a Garda X, do you believe? I mean, I think um, what I should say at this stage is that in terms of all of the information and the, you know, the, the underlying currents of this is, is one has to understand very carefully the role of intelligence agencies in providing information. The, the information that the ACC Harris, Assistant Chief Counsel Harris, provided to the tribunal was not graded. There is a formal way of grading intelligence, yet the information that he provided was ungraded and it was basically on supposition. He gave uh, evidence, I think, I think uh, on one day, and it was read into the record on a, on a subsequent day. When I say information is graded, the best information is graded, and it's pretty logical and straightforward, is graded A1, and the worst information is graded D4. So in my role in the International Liaison Protection Section in Garda Headquarters, would get information all the time in relation to targets, and the question I would ask our intelligence people is, how is it graded? You know, what's the, it's like alcohol, what's the strength, yeah? What's the grading? And if it wasn't graded in the, in the positive side, like in A1, or something of that nature, then you said, listen, you need to do some more homework on this before it becomes promoted, John, and I hope I'm not being too obscure here to what's called actionable intelligence. Actionable intelligence. And that's the end of part one. We find out what actionable intelligence really means and the human side to the Jonesboro ambush. It's all in part two of Where the Road Takes Me in a few moments.
His book, which has just been published, is called A Question of Honour, Politics and Policing, The Inside Story. Its author, retired Detective Chief Superintendent John O'Brien, joins me in the concluding programme, which again looks back at his almost 40-year service in Ungarda Síochána. In part one of programme two before the break, we discussed the killing of two senior RUC officers who were ambushed by the Provisional IRA near the border in Jonesboro in 1989 and the subsequent tribunal which was set up to investigate the killings. Before the break, John O'Brien spoke about actionable intelligence, which often did not materialise during the tribunal. So, what exactly is actionable intelligence? Actionable intelligence is where you have got information that you can now do something with from a operational point of view. You, know, you, you can act on it. The information provided by ACC Harris was not actionable intelligence, and the whole role of the intelligence services on the British side in relation to Smithick and many other events in the North, there has been an incredible naivety on the southern side in relation to those activities. And I'm not fighting with the Brits over their intelligence services. I'm just simply saying we are totally naive in understanding what the role of intelligence services are when it comes to promoting the agenda of their of their sovereign government. And we just have to believe they are not following the same flag as we are. You know, it's a very simple thing. And they are some of them are incredibly professional, but they also can step outside the law. And their, their agents can equally step outside the law. And the two names I mentioned, Scapitici and Fulton, clearly emphasizes that in total. If you delve deep enough into any one of the 3,500 people who lost their lives during the conflict in the north of Ireland, you will more than likely discover a human side that is rarely identified. Superintendent Robert Buchanan and Chief Superintendent Harry Breen were two completely different characters. Robert Buchanan, for instance, never took steps to secure his identity or his movements and travelled regularly in the same Vauxhall Cavalier, neglecting to change the number plates or indeed the vehicle itself. No, no. Bob Cannon, and then the, he's described by the colleagues who knew him as a lovely man. Like he, he was a Protestant uh, man who followed a particular church. He two different individuals. Absolutely two yeah. different. Uh, Harry Breen would have been a more hard-bitten uh, RUC officer doing the job. He was the, the divisional commander in what was the H district, which was Armagh, Newry, that area of, 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 of the north. But uh, Buchanan's uh, tradecraft, as we call it that, is he was using his own car, a red Vauxhall Cavalier, the same number of lead for two years through some of the, if not, yeah, the most dangerous country in terms of this conflict from Monaghan, Armagh, County Loud. And Bob drove up and down. His former role was a border liaison superintendent meant to stay in contact with the, the opposite numbers on the on the Garda side, but he did not exercise. And I, I, I'm not saying that this he deserved, he deserved the death he got because he obse- observed this kind of lack of counteractivity, but his own organisation, the RUC should have absolutely pulled Bob out of there. And he was due actually to go and transfer to somewhere else. So those who knew him on the Garda side were particularly sad because they recognised him for what he was. I mean, in his car, I think, uh, Vauxhall Cavalier, when it was riddled with bullets, was a Bible and some notes on a history that he was writing out of his church in the north. So it's a, he's particularly, uh, that hits particularly sad. And by the way, that killed them, the people who killed them, gave, were interviewed by lawyers from the Smithic Tribunal, never gave evidence before the uh, tribunal. They refused to, to do that, and they were granted immunity on the basis that they were cooperating with the tribunal. And if there's any travesty of justice, it is the fact, quite apart from my feelings about the Garda side, is that the people who committed these murders were identified by the tribunal lawyers and then walked free and still walk free today. 
And unusual as well in the sense that the security forces in the north identified quite a lot of IRA radio traffic that day and designated the route that Harry Breen and Robert Buchanan would have taken as a no-go area. But that information was not transferred onto these two people. Yes, and I, like, I think the radio traffic thing may have been elevated to a high, um, you know, to a higher level than it deserved, and you know, in a review of the situation. But you're right on in respect of from time to time, various border crossing points were ruled uh, no-go areas, and the area where the Eden Napper Road, where this happened, had been out of action to all RUC or security personnel for for, for use. And by the way, the the, the the murders were committed literally within the shadow of a British watchtower, but in a blind area. In other words, where they couldn't uh, where they couldn't see. So there's a whole lot of, of uh, there's a whole lot of uh, extraordinary events in terms of the ring craft and the, the trade craft being used. But by the way, just to, to, to remind myself here, Kevin Fulton, Peter Keeley, in his evidence to or his testimony to the Smith Tribunal, also said also said that RUC officers had been passing information to the provisional IRA. Now, we have no sign or any possible connection that that was ever followed up. So Smithy was a totally select process. Unfortunately, it's the same thing that we caution guards about. Don't start an investigation assuming you know the answer to your investigation because then you're simply going to wind up in the wrong place. Talk to me a little bit about the criminal justice system. In an ideal world, it's supposed to be a happy marriage between the judiciary, the prison service, the DPP, public prosecutor, law enforcement, the Gardaí, and the community. How well is that working at present, do you think, John? Uh, it, it works in, if I can use the word, it works in normal circumstances quite well. It can be tedious, it can be annoying from the Garda point of view. You may have a case that may not you know, meet the, the test of time. The difficulty always is, is that when you hit a particularly um, serious situation, like for instance, in 96 when the journalist Veronica Guerin was murdered and Jerry McKay, the detective Garda Lemick, was shot by the provisional IRA, a new raft of measures were brought in which were of terrific help in dealing with, with crime. The Criminal Assets Bureau being a classic uh, point. Uh, normally it works it, it works well, but there is always a tremendous slowness on the parts of official Ireland to modify or codify the criminal, uh, the criminal law. It is more difficult when it comes to either sub- subversive crime or organized crime, and there's always a huge debate about the special criminal court, uh, and on one side, you know, the debate says it, because it's non-jury, it shouldn't happen, and the other side, it recognizes that witnesses can be intimidated, and there's a need for it. There's a need to codify the criminal law so that it isn't as complex and convoluted as it is. Um, there is a limit to what can be achieved when dealing with the serious organized crime like the drugs and what have you, and that requires tremendous effort, and that will produce results. Are the rules good enough, fair enough? On the balance of probability, they are. But the most serious crime in terms of the court process is something that needs you know, a more rational and mature consideration. For instance, I make the point, our system in Ireland is an adversarial uh, system, which in both sides, in legal terms, when it comes to court, beat the living hell out of each other on the facts. Yeah? You know, one guy argues it's black and white. If you go to the continent or if you go to France, it's an inquisitorial system. 
And in a country like that, you have no right of what we call the right of silence. Uh, you, ha- you have no right to be cautioned. You have no right of habeas corpus. So we have a particular system that evolved from the British system and in- involved now into a purely uniquely Irish system. I would be reasonably happy that it's fair, but certainly I think on the more serious end, it needs a lot of looking at. I would be more concerned, to be honest with you, on the policing model. In other words, that's the model of policing being employed now and into the future by the, the, the Garda Shikana and they are part of the equation because after all, the criminal justice system is a partnership between different elements, the guards, the courts, you know, the, the Department of Justice and of course, most importantly, the, the public because it has to be a system that is supported by the majority of people. It just can't be something that is imposed on people. So, a model of policing that is supported by the community and not imposed on them community, of course, being part of the criminal justice system, as previously mentioned. Well, in the past, and it was a system that seemingly worked very well, and I know from living here in Bandon, that Gordy lived in the town they were stationed in. They created a bond between themselves and the community, they integrated with the community, and they got involved in local organisations. The result was that members of the community who got to know them well now had a face, a person, an individual or a friend whom they could contact if they had a problem or if they were aware of a crime or anything suspicious happening in their community. Gardaí now tend to live in a different area to where they are stationed. Yet it's a simple thing to pick up a phone and ring a Garda station. But it's human nature. People will do it even more so if they know the person at the end of the line. I know that here in the Cork West Garda Division, which is a huge area, the officer commanding Chief Superintendent Con Cadigan is working at a return to the policing model just mentioned, where the Garda and the community work closely together. But John O'Brien is concerned that the national model being proposed will include expanding many boundaries, including the already large Cork West Garda Division. The proposed plan, he says, will directly affect 14,279 sworn serving Garda officers and 2,332 civilian staff. 427 stations will be affected directly by boundary changes and all 535 stations, he says, will be impacted. Uh, no, I, and I, I fully agree with you. You see, I, I also <laughs> live in the community, and I would suffer to some degree from from from, from what you what you just described. Is that that con- that contact, the, the immediacy, the knowledge, the recognition? As a bit of what I said at the very start, in terms of my own relationship at the very start with the guards, that trusting capability is based on we knowing each other and having a respect for each other. I am particularly particularly concerned with the model for policing that's now being adv- advocated by the current guard, the commissioner, which has. A whole radical restructuring process running on at the back end of the service, which to my view is very unsound because it hasn't been tested or piloted. For instance, the, you know, where you are talking to me from now is in the, the in the, the Cork West Garda Division, which is a big area all the way from where you are all the way to the to the tip of Barra Peninsula. And I guess you will know better than I, John, how long it would take to simply travel that distance, you know, a couple of hours. And... The proposal now says that that division, Cork West, should be amalgamated with um, Cork North, which is uh, headquartered in Formoy. So in a future uh, edition, the chief superintendent in Bandon will be asked to manage a policing area that runs all the way from the Waterford border 
to the tip of Bera Peninsula. Now, to me, that is taking policing far, far away from the reality we just spoke about, where there is immediacy, contact. I mean, one person simply could not cover that area in a span of control. It doesn't matter how good you are. And I was in charge of two Garda divisions at different times, so I would claim to have some direct knowledge of, of how much you can reasonably cover and how good a service you, you, you can offer. And by the way, that system is being replicated throughout the country in, in many respects. For instance, Tipperary and Clare divisions are being amalgamated. Now, again, you're looking at running all the way from the cliffs of Moore right down to Carrigan Shore. You know, being ran under the command of one individual and their whole system has been destructured within that without a single shred of research evidence to indicate that it's a, a better way of doing things. It seems to be, to me, largely based on a British model of policing that isn't applicable in our circumstances. And I wish to God that our politicians would take a closer look on what's happening before it's too late, because I think, based on my experience of, I guess, nearly 50 years of policing, I think that is not something that fills me with any great confidence for the future, even though the people will always try to do the best they can. But it's imposing an impossible structure in a very difficult situation. And the world is changing. You know, there was a time, I guess, a, you know, when drunk driving was the thing in terms of offenses. Now it's as likely to be drug driving. So the whole country profile is changing and people isolated in communities is simply a terrible thing. And anything that brings the policing service away from that really should not be condoned. All right. So what you're saying is that we're not we're not coming up to to speed with the changing face of crime nowadays. Certainly the change in time, the impact of the drugs on society and so on in terms of everyday society uh, is, in my view, the policing model that's being advocated stands far less a chance than a more thoughtful uh, community based approach. Even though all of the buzzwords are used for the new policing model, I'm saying <laughs> I'm saying to our good listeners, don't believe it. Examine it. Talk to your politicians and for God's sake, do something about it. And that brings part two of our programme to a close. On this evening's edition of Where the Road Takes Me, I'm speaking to retired detective Chief Superintendent John O'Brien about his time in Agarda Siakana from 1968 to 2006. John is originally from Kilady, Ballinhasic. We continue and conclude the programme in part three, and it's coming your way in a few minutes' time. Pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. 
we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Earlier in the program, John O'Brien commented on the new operating model proposed by the Garda Commissioner Drew Harris. They set out what he has termed as a new operating model for the force. But John O'Brien believes that these proposals are hypothetical. They are based on assumptions and presumptions, which are unprecedented, untested and uncosted. So I made contact with the Garda Press Office for a statement on what John had said, and in particular, how these proposals would affect the Cork West Garda Division, which polices an enormous area of the county and beyond in its present format. What I got back was what was proposed for Cork City. But still, the basics of the plan are contained in the statement. I asked John to read the statement and come back to me with his reaction, and if his criticisms had changed as a result of what the statement had said. Having read the reply from the press office, uh, there's nothing in my previous thinking that has changed. I still believe that the proposals were hypothetical, that they were based on assumptions and presumptions, which were unprecedented and unfounded. The basic premise behind the, this uh, new operating model is was untested and it was uncosted. And uh, critically, there was no economic or, or operational impact study. The other thing I'd say is, I think you asked a question in relation to what would be uh, Cork West, and you were given a reply in relation to uh, Cork City, uh, which set out a series of, uh, gave you a series of information. But the key thing, I think, to cut to the chase in all of this is, while we could argue on the relative merits of A and B forever on this, is if a, a new system is to be put in place, or if it is already in place, it should be possible. They have something like the metrics that indicate the degree of success or otherwise with that system. I think that's a very simple proposition. For instance, any citizen of Cork City or Cork County or any other county should be able to say with a great deal of conviction because we're now operating in this particular way. There's been a high visibility patrolling increase. In other words, there's been more guardie out in mobile patrol and on foot patrol. There has been a significant improvement in response times to calls for help from the community, thinking particularly about 3-9 calls. Somebody way out the country has uh, intruders on. Uh, how long does it take us to get to them? Is it now better because of this new system? 
And is there the old thing, the very old concept of policing by consent, is there high uniform visibility? Do the guards know you? Do you know the guards? Is that that direct relationship of trust? How is that improved because you're doing things a different way? And of course, because all of this happens in a, in a financial background, what have the financial savings been? How, you know, how have, you, have you quantified those? So in other words, that you've gone to all this trouble to really... What I see is upscuttle the whole policing by consent model in the country. Where are the dividends and how do you measure them? And I'm not talking about buzzwords and I'm not talking about jargon. Sometimes it's impenetrable. Effectively, tell us why this is better. And of course, the other thought that comes to my mind is change doesn't always mean progress. And I'm thinking of big initiatives on the wider scheme like the HSE and different organizations where there is a big trumpeting of change. And the last thing I'd say is that way back in 1995, a similar project to this was undertaken. It was called Regionalizing the Garda Shikana, and that was a disaster. The same way, it had no prior planning, there was no proof of concept, and in some ways the organization was still trying to get out from under that, and here we come along again in 2019 with something that's even crazier. It does state that nationally, 721 officers will be freed up from administrational duties and put on operational duties. But 721, and I think 31 in Cork, 721 nationally is spreading it fairly thin, I would imagine. It is, of course, and of course you're divided by the number of gather divisions, whether it be 25 or 19 divisions. You divide it down to the individual units in each uh, station. And you also have to consider the other thing, which euphemistically called wastage. You know, how many people have retired in the same period of time? How, how many people are on sick leave? Essentially, and while I would never decry the, the additional numbers, although, John, the numbers now in the Gansha Corner are probably at the highest they've ever been at any time in the history of the state. It's not an impactful figure in terms of the gather service nor is it an impactful figure in terms of the metrics that I just mentioned, you know, the response times, the visibility, the greater contact with the community and the financial savings. It's not a metric of that at all. And finally, John, what will this mean to the Bandon Garda Station at the moment, which is the HQ for the Cork West Garda Division, which is a huge area? What will that mean with this plan? With this plan, the intention is that, uh, as I understand it, uh, that Cork West Division, based in Bandon, as you say, and running right into the, the heartland of West Cork, will be amalgamated with the Cork North Division, which is currently headquartered in Fermoy, and runs all the way to the Waterford uh, border and up to the tip border and to the borders of, uh, of Cork City. It would mean the amalgamation of those two divisions, and it would mean that instead of one chief superintendent, as is the case now, responsible for each of those divisions, one chief superintendent would be responsible for the amalgamated division. So one individual would have the operational responsibility for policing all the way from the Waterford border to the tip of the Bear Peninsula. It doesn't bear any kind of uh, logistical uh, sense, and it certainly doesn't mean that if I'm living in anywhere in that area, that the quality of the policing service I've got is improved. It is change for change's sake, and it certainly is in progress. For the final 10 minutes of this evening's programme, it's a case of stop press and change tack. 
One of the major news stories from this week was the announcement by Northern Ireland Secretary of State Brandon Lewis that the British would not now hold an inquiry into the murder of Belfast solicitor Pat Finucane, who was murdered by loyalist paramilitaries in 1989. Pat Finucane had represented prominent members of the IRA and had successfully taken a number of human rights cases against the British government. On this programme, we've already discussed the Smithick Tribunal. We may never have discussed Pat Finucane this evening, only for the announcement regarding the inquiry during the week. The reason we do so is that there is a strong connection between both. John O'Brien now fills us in on the background. The Good Friday Agreement of 1998 was the historic agreement which basically brought uh, an end to the troubles and end to the killing in Northern Ireland, or at least the transition from, from that. And what followed that for a period of a couple of years was a normalization process between the, between the governments, uh, East and West, and obviously with the political in- interests in the North, and of course that involved the paramilitaries as well. That in turn led to something called the Western Park Agreement in, in 2001. And one of the issues for the Western Park Agreement was to deal with legacy issues. And legacy issues, I know in the Irish context, means looking at all of the atrocities that happened during the Troubles and apportioning uh, responsibility, blame, or at least getting a conclusion to them. And in particular, the whole idea of collusion and collusion by security services in relation to in relation to any of those atrocities. So that was the key, key point at the Western Park Agreement. And following that, both governments, East and West, agreed that a Canadian, a retired Canadian uh, judge, Judge Corrie, would do an analysis of a number of cases, north and south. Uh, and on the basis of his recommendations, then either government would then go ahead and hold full public tribunals uh, in relation to those cases. Uh, as it worked out, uh, Judge Corrie then decided in relation to the south uh, that uh, that what became the Smithic uh, Tribunal would be instituted, and that was into the models of uh, Harry Breen and Bob Buchanan, which we have discussed already. And in the North, he decided that there should be inquiries into four key uh, murders, atrocities in the North as well. And one of those was the Patrick Finucane murder in 1989. So that's the background to it. And the real interesting question is, you know, what happened, uh, what happened from there? The big question in all of this, of course, is how high up along the line does the collusion go? Well, John O'Brien offers an interesting insight. There are formal systems of reporting, certainly on a daily basis and more often, depending on the particular emergency. So the key thing for us on this island to remember is that the intelligence systems in the UK go back to number 10. So there is no question of political de- deniability of them. Obviously, that is used. So that's the understanding that we must have when we look at the British system. There is a commonality between the Smithic Tribunal and Patrick Finucane for one particular reason is both tribunals were influenced by British agents. The Smithic Tribunal came about in the first instance because Judge Corrie was a Canadian judge who was saying, do we need to have a tribunal in relation to the mothers of Harry Breen and Bob Buchanan? And loyalists brought, or uh, and northern politicians brought the individual Peter Keeley, Kevin Fulton, who became the key witness, or one of the key witnesses, together with ACC Drew Harris, at the Smithy Tribunal, brought him to Judge Corrie, and based on his unverified statements to Corrie, it was decided to have the Smithy Tribunal. That was the key British agent, and he was, a, he was an agent of the British military, and I've spoken about it already, and it's well covered in my book. In relation to the Pat Finucane murder, that was influenced by uh, another British agent uh, for the British military, Brian Nelson. So 
all of the commonality that existed from the very word go that there was British agents operating within the system, influencing the outcome for Corrie and obviously directly involved with the security services in relation to the murder of Pat Finucane. And that gave rise to something else which I find particularly disturbing is uh, in the book I've called it Operation Collusion South. After the 1998 Good Friday Agreement, from the evidence available, it's clear that there was a concerted effort by some northern politicians and others to make sure that there would be sufficient suspicion passed on the Garish O'Connor, and in this case in relation to the Harry Breen and Bob Buchanan murders. And that was almost like a counterbalance to the manifest allegations of collusion on the northern side. And I know that sounds very cynical, but it started with the 1989 uh, book by Toby Harnden. Uh, that's the book, Abandoned Country. And then very interesting on the 13th of April 2000, Jeffrey Donaldson, Democratic Unionist Party MP at the uh, in committee in the House of Commons, uh, mentioned the mole allegedly responsible for the collusion on the deaths of the two RUC officers. And on the very same day, on the very same day, 13th of April 2000, Charlie Flanagan, Jim Higgins and Brian Hayes, three TDs in Dolan, raised the same question without mentioning the mole. Now, that's why I say there was a progress or a process by which the Northerners and other influences were making sure that there would be an accent in ensuring that there was a tribunal, and in my view, a totally unjustifiable tribunal in relation to the models of Harry Breen and Bobby Cannon. One final and very important point to all of this. At the Western Park Agreement in 2001, the Irish government agreed to hold an inquiry into the shooting dead of the two senior RUC officers returning from Dundalk Garda Station in 1989, Harry Breen and Robert Buchanan. For their part, the British agreed to hold an inquiry into, amongst others, the murder of Pat Finucane. However, in the meantime, when the British realised what damaging results this particular inquiry was likely to reveal and how high the collusion could possibly go in their ranks, they moved quickly in 2005 to ensure that any such inquiry, if it were held, would be a toothless one. 2001 was the Western Park Agreement and the agreement then to have the inquiries north and south. But in 2005, this is very, very important, the British introduced and passed an act that limited the powers of their own tribunals in relation to seeking information and holding public inquiries. So that's at the key of the whole thing. While the Irish government uh, entered into it, I would say, in good faith, the British, when they had a look at what Judge Corey was saying in relation to the Northern one, including Pat Finucane, they decided to limit the power of a public inquiry, and that was done in 2005. So in card-playing terms, somebody was playing a joker from the bottom of the deck, I'm afraid, in this particular transaction. On this week's and last week's programme, I've been speaking with retired Detective Chief Superintendent John O'Brien, originally from Kaledi Ballinhasic. For me, and I'm sure for you, it's been an interesting and enlightening experience gaining a different slant to major news stories from the past and indeed the present. Still, we've only scratched the surface. John's book, all of 462 pages, is called A Question of Honour, Politics and Policing, The Inside Story. It's available from the Bandit Bookstore at the Riverview Shopping Centre or log on to his website, thecontrarian.ie. Thanks to John O'Brien for joining us, to you for your company, and to Doc Martin, who was on sound again this week. Until Sunday evening next at 7, from myself, John Green, do have a safe and enjoyable week. But for now, goodbye.
Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.